The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, star of The Real Housewives of Dubai, entrepreneur, wife, and mother of three, once divorced and now remarried to a much younger man, uncut and uncensored with Caroline Stanbury follows me as I live my life unapologetically and shows you that there is life after 40. I'm here to let you know that not only is there a life after divorce, but you have the power to make it your best one yet, just like I did. So buckle up and join me for the wild ride. So welcome back to another episode of Uncut and Uncensored with Caroline Stanbury. And today I'm so excited. I've been waiting for this podcast for quite a long time. I am joined by Violet Benson of Daddy Issues. So welcome to the show. And I'm so, so excited you're here. Thank you. Oh, podcaster. There we go. We've just talked about this podcaster and writer and comedian. That's why I'm so excited because you're a girl after my own heart. Hi, thank you for having me. Pleasure is all mine. So I was reading through your bio today and like me, you're a bit of a, I'm an accidental podcaster. So I just started when I went on his and her podcast and learned how to do it. But I have a a cracking sense of humor. I love to make fun of myself. And when I read your bio, you're a girl after my own heart because I love someone that sort of saw what was wrong in her life and changed it. You didn't feel sorry for yourself. You made the change and exploded onto the scene. Tell everyone sort of your story because from accountant to comedian to uh, podcaster is a huge change with 6 million followers. I mean, it's incredible. Thank you. Yes. I wouldn't say the reason I created everything is because, you know, I was so fierce. I think normally you create some of your best stuff or you end up Faith ends up knocking down your door during probably your lowest moments, which is why I think lowest moments are so necessary because you can't have joy without misery. So I think a lot of the time through our darkest times is when we get to create some amazing things. So yes, I used to be an accountant. I have two degrees. I have a degree in accounting and a second degree in business law. And first I was pursuing law school and then I changed because I couldn't get into the same law school as my sister. I decided to just go straight into accounting and I worked in one of the largest public accounting firms in state, local and state tax. So that for me was interesting. (laughs) I mean, actually, oddly, this must be the most, it's the most perfect side gig to know when you're starting a business. Honestly, it was really helpful when I was creating my business. That's for sure. Cause I, but a lot of people think, oh yeah. I hated being an accountant too. I can imagine why you left. That's not why I left. When I came to my accounting firm, I wanted to become a partner. Like I was ready to get there. I have a very immigrant mentality from being an immigrant in the United States, not even a first generation. For me, it's always been, I have to hustle because I don't come from money. So I just genuinely believed I have to work hard for everything I have. And I have worked hard for everything I have because my personality (laughs) has made my life a little more difficult sometimes. So Basically, when I was an accountant, the women on my team, unfortunately, or now fortunately, made my life kind of living hell. And it's not the regular living hell where I'm exaggerated to the point that HR got involved to the point that no one can even, no one was even able to fire me because it was so bad with, with HR being involved that they couldn't let me go because they were afraid I would sue them, which I wasn't going to. I actually wanted them to fire me so I can get unemployment, but like they couldn't fire me, <laughs> which was the wow. funniest thing. Yeah, so it was pretty like the bullying was really harsh in the in my firm with me. It is what it is, but it, it really broke me down to the point that I just could not figure out how to get these girls, these women to like me 
I completely gave up. I realized that there was no way I could ever be promoted with these women on my team with how what was going on. I my dreams were not going to come true. And I was really defeated. And it was the first time in my life where I just had no idea who I was. They completely just broke me, which is very hard to break me. So for me to finally just give up, I would be crying in my car every single morning before we get into work. And then I'd be like, okay, enough. This is what your dad taught you. This is the nine to five. This is American dream. People suffer when they're adults. Like this is this is how life is. Like this is not weird or anything. I'm supposed to go through this. So then, and then I would just do my job and I had no social media. And then sometimes people would send me memes from the fat Jewish and fuck Jerry. And I just thought, wow, I forgot. I used to have a sense of humor. I mean, I won class clown in high school and I completely forgot that I used to be funny because in my, in my accounting firm, when they recommended, one of my managers recommended I get a medication to calm my personality down. What? So I yeah, that's part of the HR getting involved. So I try because I wanted to like me so much, I got prescribed to Adderall, which I'm still on now. So it did really calm my personality down. But I think at that point, I tried to be as robotic as possible. I tried to wear loose clothes as possible. So they wouldn't make comments about my body. It was just, it was just, I was just really want to make them happy. Yeah. But you, know, you know, what? I'm fascinated by this because I talk about it a lot. The most brutal are women to women. And that's what's so sad. Like, I, I don't understand. I mean, at this age, I mean, you look you look very young now. I don't know how old you are. But, you know, back then, you know, I can't imagine what they would find so scary or intimidating by you, except your love of life and your intention to get somewhere at the end, which is, you know, as someone who's run a business, I only want people to work for me that want to bulldoze their way through the office. I don't want someone sat there that just wants to get to five o'clock and leave. So you would be the dream right. candidate for most people in my book. So what was it you think that led these women to, I mean, well, thank you to whoever it was out there, by the way, because, you know, oh, look wow. at you now. I'm so like, I'm so grateful. The first year when I left uh, my accounting firm, I made three times as much as my salary was. And then the second year of doing daddy issues, I made as much as a partner in my law in my accounting firm. So I am so thankful. I think in big companies in general, with the bullying, there's a lot of office politics. And I think I'm just, I'm very tunnel vision when I want something, especially because I, like I said, I don't come from anything. So I don't have connections and I didn't grow up with money. So I constantly have to have a very tunnel vision of where I'm trying to get. So with my partner, I would read then in my accounting firm, I would read a lot of research on how to be the best proper junior accountant. So basically, each uh, team gets assigned a partner or two, but you never get to talk to him or speak to that partner when you're a junior. So I realized, I read that if you, if you really want to impress the partner, for him to even know you exist in a big uh, accounting firm, you have to show up to work before he comes in. So when he walks past your cubicle, you're there. And you only leave when he leaves. Even if you have no work to do, you stay there until your partners go home. So I started doing that. So then I would show up 6 a.m. to work because I noticed he was coming in 6.30. So I would show up. So you walk by. I'm one of the first ones in my cubicle. So, of course, he's suddenly noticing. And then I would leave. He's, if he was leaving 11 p.m., that's when I would leave. Like I would wait for him to leave and then I would leave as well. So I think just my work ethic in general. And then eventually, one day it happened. He was looking around. No one's around. And he needs help on a project. And he put me on and it's very un unheard of for a junior 
to work with a partner because there's so many levels in between. So you're actually allowed to do that. And, and then I ended up being on like two or three projects with a senior manager and with my partner. And it started to make people upset. And I remember eventually I was sitting there with my partner who became one of my mentors. And I said, I don't understand why these women don't like me. Like, I'm just working. Like, I don't even notice them. And he said, Violetta, that's the problem. You don't notice them. And that, that kind of did click in my head. I'm not, obviously I have, I think some people have a big problem playing the victim and I have a big problem of trying to always uh, take responsibility for why someone doesn't like me. And then at the end of the day, people project, but I do think maybe potentially I wasn't playing office politics. I was so focused with my tunnel vision. I wasn't paying attention to them. Maybe I wasn't sucking up to them the way they wanted, whatever it was, regardless, I was meant to do what I do now. So one way or another, I would have, I would have come back to this path, in my opinion. And those times, those hard times, so you said, you know, actually become great fodder when you're a comedian. They're actually super important for you to have these stories that you can look back on now and laugh about because although they were painful at the time, I mean, it's funny now when you look at it, you know, you can see it, how you were meant to be where you're meant to be, how it led to that. Honestly, I think that's one, what's wrong with America today is the worth work ethic of a lot of people, you know, and them not having tunnel vision that the, that the office surroundings becomes more important than the job. And, you know, we've lost sight of what a job actually is today and how much work it should, it does take to, to make it or to, you know, because even now that taught you focus for your business, you know, you're going head to head with, I mean, I've been on TV, well, this is, this will be my seventh year. You know, I'm not even close to you on social media. We're in different businesses, obviously, but like, you know, to explode like that overnight, that's takes something very special in, in today's world. It really does. It's not to be overlooked because there's a million people trying to do, well, more to, you know, millions of people trying to do what you do and stand out. In order to succeed, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I think you need three things. Mm -hmm. And those are the first one is you have to believe in yourself when no one else is believing in you. Number two, you have to have a sprinkle of luck. Yes. And number three, timing. So do I think I am the funniest person out there or the most amazing writer or whatever I have to offer is so unique that no one else? No. Do I think there is people out there who are better than me? Yes. But they may lack what I have which is I believed in myself so much, which is my work ethic. Believing in yourself and working hard is my work ethic. So I even said in accounting, I said, other people can be smarter than me here, but no one's going to work as much as me. And I knew that's usually how, because when I said I was going to do something, I did it. My work ethic was superior to my coworkers. That's the truth. What made you explode that day? What put you over I the edge on the internet? Overnight. I did not explode overnight. It was a year long. It was maybe not a year, maybe it was eight months to explode. When I created Daddy Issues, it was anonymous. I completely lost myself and I started writing about a girl. That's how it happened. I started writing about this girl and she was so much cooler than me. She came from a rich family. She was invited to all the cool parties. She just got out of rehab because she, you know, because I thought, you know, back then doing drugs and partying is so cool. And I could not relate to that. So I was writing about her and she was so beautiful that everywhere she went, people noticed her. And I felt so invisible. I just felt, I just thought nobody can even notice I exist or I'm breathing the same air as them because I'm just, 
And I just didn't think also that I could make any of the jokes that she makes because she just gets it. She's cool. And no one's going to follow me. People are going to follow her. And that's where I got the courage to start posting. And that's why I know it doesn't make sense because I wrote about her, but then I was posting memes. But all the memes in the beginning I was creating. So all the jokes I was creating, it was based on she would post that. I could never post that. I don't have the confidence. But she's so cool. She would post it. she could get away with it. Exactly. That's how I became my alter ego. Daddy Mm -hmm. issues being my alter ego. My, My whole slogan was everyone has an alter ego. This one's mine. So that's how daddy issues was created. And then, but then where that's where my analytical brain came in. I started doing research. So it wasn't me posting things to make me feel better. It was me starting suddenly doing research. So every night before I went to bed, I would go on my, who I decided my competitors were. So this is where you believe in yourself. I didn't think my competitors were people, small accounts like mine. I said, my competitors are fuck Jerry and the fat Jewish. Even though I started, had like what, three followers, right? <laughs> and every night I would go on, on their follower list and I, would, and I would go through a hundred people and fuck Jerry's and a hundred people on the fat Jewish and every follower, new follower, because those are the followers I was trying to gain. I would like two pictures and some people I would like two pictures and comment something outlandish on one of them to garnish attention. And that was my work to do. So regardless what time I left work, whether it was 9 p.m. or 1 a.m., I go home and for two hours after that, I'm in my bed doing that. And then I still wake up, obviously, 5, 6 a.m. to go to work. Wait, wait, this but- is amazing. So you went to the followers to because they obviously were interested in memes and funny stuff like this, comedy. And then you were funny on each one's account. Yeah. That's amazing. I've never heard of anything like that. So after that, so I started slowly gaining followers. It's not enough. So then I'm like, okay, I started also reading comments feedback. So I would just, when I would see girls tagging each other, they'll say, oh my God, her caption. I'm like, okay, I just, it's two, two words. Oh, they like my caption. I'll make it longer. So suddenly it's longer and now our caption is better. It's only it's it's a whole sentence or a little bit of a paragraph. So then it's another joke on top of the meme. Then I notice which ones, which memes are getting the most engagement. So based on those that engagement is what I start posting more. So I've always said the people created me and daddy issues because I was just following what people like because I don't know who I am. So I'm just based on other people. Then I said, okay, it's time for a celebrity to follow me. So then I started going through different celebrities. And I was seeing who their friends are. And I was looking for that one friend that's not as popular as the celebrities where they can notice me. And I remember it was Joe Jonas's friend. And I commented some outlandish things on, on his profile. And I remember that day he tagged Joe, finally, one of my memes. And then Joe started liking some of my memes. And then suddenly he followed me. And he was my first celebrity to follow me. And I remember I texted my best friend. I go, Kylie, I'm quitting. It's happening as a joke because we never thought. You don't think that you can make money off of social media. No. So, and I remember it's when I finally, at that point, I had 300,000 followers. How and, old were you I then? I must have been 25, 26, 25, 26. It's amazing. It's amazing. I love the analytical brain. I mean, the mathematician in you, like working it out too, because it's not ad hoc. It wasn't just willy nilly. There was such a system behind it and a thought process, which is, yeah, it's incredible. I've never in my life, had things I mean of course people can back to differ what we believe the definition of being something being handed to you I'm sure maybe some things were easier that's not handed to you that you know I I don't like that either I mean although you said sprinkled with luck I really that also really irritates me because it's not luck that I mean you've just told the story that wasn't lucky you thought about it you went out and got it you went and made it happen in a way that 
you were an accountant in the middle of a giant firm that frankly, how you've managed to do that, that and get Joe Jonas to follow you, you, I, you deserve a, a fucking medal. And I mean, it's, it's incredible and it's incredible. And it, what it does is prove to people that you really can achieve or get whatever you put your mind to. And I think that's where I want to take the luck out of it. Cause that's not luck. That is really strategizing how you, you know, like looking at who liked your pictures, who loved your memes, what they were based on, you know, like I do with my pictures. Do they want to see beauty or children or whatever it is? I'm a housewife, so it's different, but like, you know what I mean? But that to me is genius, not lucky. Yeah. And then I figured out the Instagram algorithm back then because people make all these jokes about math and I don't know why it offends me sometimes, but by the way, accounting and math are not the same thing. A lot of accountants are not good at math. I am good at math. Prior to accounting, I did tutor math up to around 10 years. So I do genuinely like math. It was the only subject I was ever good at that I felt kind of not stupid, like in the other subjects. But math is important in your life. And I wish more people understood it because you can use math logic in everything in your life. That's what they mean where you will use math in your life. So I use math logic. By my math logic is I kind of in a way hacked the algorithm of Instagram back then when it was easier and I would figure out when there were glitches to my benefit. So then I could tell if I like post a picture and I delete it and I repost it or something, something happens in the algorithm because it was a glitch, which means somehow will accidentally generate me more, um, garnish more attention, like suddenly pop up, show up twice or something. I don't know how to explain, but I recall I noticed that to the point that at one point when I started building a relationship with people at Instagram, they would invite me to speak at Instagram in the beginning of my career when they they would fly in their tech team from San Francisco for their conferences. And they would invite me to speak in for me to tell them everything that's wrong with the app from glitches because I started to notice them before the tech people did. How is it now? Because I mean, I, I I don't have an analytical brain, but I do know that it's a lot harder to get noticed on Instagram today. You know? Yes. If I created a meme account now, this is where I mean you need the sprinkle of luck and timing. Mm. I came in when memes were just starting to become a thing. Yeah. So I got lucky with my account that also people gave a shit a year later when I came out as who Daddy Issues was. People cared. Mm. at that point. And I think being anonymous was a wonderful idea because not only did it help me shine my personality without being scared of people judging me, but every person that followed daddy issues, imagine I looked like them. Because a lot of times people judge a book by its cover. And when you're anonymous or no, people end up just liking your personality. They don't think they, and everyone assumes, oh, she must look like me Mm. if, or I can relate to her problems. But we don't realize then in the end of the day, we all yearn for such similar things. People want to feel important. People want to feel like they matter. People want to feel loved. And it's it's ununderstood. And it's these four things that we all want. And yet it seems people on the internet just judge each other so much. When in reality, and they, you know, they don't care to understand someone else, but they're dying to be understood. So being anonymous, I think was great for me and and helpful. I really like that. (laughs) Well, that's really interesting because the whole reason you created this account was because you were being bullied. You didn't want to be seen. You didn't feel heard. And now you're one of the most heard voices 
on the podcasting and the internet, really. And people have taken notice. How does that feel? Like, do you realize that everyone like wants to know you now or does it not sunk in? Like, has it changed? I don't mean financially, but you, you know, your character. Like, uh, Yeah, it has changed financially. <laughs> no, but... I, obviously that, but like everything that would have happened if you'd stayed anonymous, I presume, because the account was so huge. But I mean, have you realized that people like you, Violetta, you know, that people want to know who you are now, not the girl. Um, I don't think so. I think, but I think that's important. I think I'm very much just focused on my work and creating. And I constantly look to how I can reinvent myself. Whatever I'm not doing great mentally is when I focus on the likes and the followers. And then I forget, I lose myself in what I actually created. Because I remember when my account started to grow. And I noticed it. I told myself, okay, this is something. I think it was the first time that I said, this is something. This can be something. I know it. I feel it. And how cool is it? If I can have such a large voice, I want to be able to make a difference. Mm. And the way I want to be able to make a difference, I want to make people feel good. I want people to never feel the way I felt, which was very isolated and alone. And being America is my third country that I've lived in. So I think this is something that a lot of other immigrants can relate to or people that are are mixed, actually, ethnicity wise. It's where you don't feel like you fit in. You don't have a home anywhere from living in different countries so much. I mean, you, I'm sure you can relate as well. So I didn't feel like I fit in anymore. And social media, because there's so much negativity to social media, but there's so many great things about it as well. And social media made me feel like I finally have a home. And it was the first time I felt OK with being myself. Like the followers of Daddy Issues not only helped me come out of such a dark time in my life, but it helped me find myself and be okay with myself. And it was crazy. It was the first time I cared so much for so long what people thought about me. And then when I created Daddy Issues, the more I continued doing it, the more I became the girl I was pretending to be, the more I stopped caring what people thought about me, the more I became more myself. And now I get to really be myself, something I wasn't for so many years. And I don't focus on my followers and all those things. I just focus on doing my job, whether it's through my writing to bring emotions and tears through people or whether it's through my comedy to make people laugh. But I don't think about like, oh, wow, look at all these followers and what this means. I don't I never actually I never assume people know who I am. None of that doesn't get to my head. I'm just here to do my job. Well, my question is then your business is very much where you're isolated again, right? Because you're writing, you're behind your screen. And you're podcasting. So how are you? Like, ha- have you been able to sort of go, like get your a, a big friend group now? Did it change your confidence with people having been bullied for, by so many people in the past? Can you walk into a room and feel confident and make friends now? Or do you do you still find it you're just so work focused, hard to like meet people, boyfriends? Like, I you know, I would say what I do for a living makes dating harder, whether it's people having already an opinion of me or a notion of me without me realizing or me having no time for dating. But when it comes to friends, I've always made friends easily. I think that's why it was the hardest for me to understand why I couldn't make. And the reason I always made friends easily because I was bullied when I was a child. And one day I said, I'm done with getting bullied. I'm going to figure out how to become popular and how to make friends in the popular group. Mm -hmm. And I created a whole like chart and list that I revisit every week. And then when I moved to America... Yeah. And then when I moved to America, I got bullied again in high school because I came straight to ninth grade. And it was the same thing. After a year, I said, I'm over being bullied. 
I need to figure out. And I created a chart and a whole list of people and their names. And I was like looking around to figure out what I need to be friends with to become popular, to not get bullied. So I genuinely believe I trained myself to then do what I did with daddy issues. It was kind of the same thing where I created a chart to figure out how to help with my self-esteem, how to grow. And um, so because of my constant need to survive, that's, I think that's always been my mindset. I've never had a chance because I don't care if I get rejected. Like, I think it's really weird. Like I can come up to people if they're rude to me. I'll be like, okay, cool, whatever. It's not personal because I know, I think, you know how some people always talk about being delusional? Yeah. I don't believe in that whole stuff of being delusional because I believe what I want my reality to be able to become. So I don't like to say delusional, but I will say the one thing I'm delusional at is where I think everyone likes me. And that's always my mindset. I don't go into a room thinking people don't like me. If someone doesn't like me, to me, it's like, well, that seems like a you problem. Regardless how low my self-esteem is, maybe it'll, it'll hit me a little bit. But normally I'm like, that sounds like a you problem. You're projecting you should work on yourself. If you don't like me, what do I have to do about that? I'm not going to, I'm not going to change myself for you. So that's always how I've been. So I've always made friends easily. It's not a problem. So, and I remember in high school when I had anxiety about when I had social anxiety, I said, okay, enough. It's time to fix this. So I started going to high school parties by myself to fix my social anxiety. I'm a little robotic in a lot of ways. I, I, I love it. I mean, if more people could fix their problems, as I always say, not internally, but like kind of by hovering. I did that at school because I went to boarding school for a very long time. And so with, I had no family and friends there, obviously. So I think I learned to helicopter myself and pull myself out of any funk that I got into. And I could very easily see why, where, what was going wrong and then the path to getting there. And it's kind of like an early visualization that you've had to do all the way through, which makes it very, very powerful. And it works. It's worked for you because you've got all the way there and you've solved all your own problems. And that's all it is. And so many women cannot do that. That analytical brain is actually attracting everything you've ever needed or wanted in life. Yeah, I agree. I do think though, looking back now, and obviously it seems that you can relate with the gaining independence and being such an independent child and Mm -hmm. picking ourselves up. I think people like us, we feel it. Of course, we should be proud of the fact that we were able to be so independent being back then. But now I think I have decided to give myself more grace, something I didn't do as a child, which I look back now and I'm like, I wish I would have been open when I was sad. I wish I would have shared my pain with other people because I didn't realize that as a child, I didn't always have to be strong. And, and those are defense mechanisms that we build when we're kids in order to feel safe and to protect ourselves. Then when we become adults, those defense mechanisms no longer work for us. So because the defense mechanisms I was so used to doing as a child, it didn't work for me as an adult because it pissed off some of the wrong people in my accounting firm, you know, because it wasn't where I couldn't isolate myself the way I did with my tunnel vision to, to feel for safety. So now I do give myself more grace when I feel sad or I'm having a bad day. I don't say, no, who cares? V, get up, pick yourself up and let's go. I go, no, I'm sad. I want to feel my emotions. I deserve this. I'm going to take some, a few hours off and I'm just going to cry if I want to. I'm going to pity myself. I'm going to feel that because it's meant, I'm meant to feel these feelings. They're not going anywhere. I know that now. And then I will sit down. I'll figure out, okay, how do we fix this? What's the solution? 
I wish more people had that attitude. Everybody goes through it. I mean, I definitely, definitely agree with that in some sense. I do think that I, I'm a lot older than you. I, I haven't been able to sort of stop the defense mechanism that I built from boarding school because it's so ingrained in me because I went from six to 18. That's, you know, a long time. But for me, I think that I am better because I have a partner now at, you know, at telling him if I'm in what state I'm in. But I, what I do think is very important and what you said is like, you're an overachiever. That's what you are from everything I'm, I'm listening to. And, you know, although you feel sorry for the moment for yourself, you actually get back up. And a lot of people can't do that. They sit down and don't get back up or, you know, think the world's going to carry it for them. And they, and I think what your story is a very important one to show girls, young girls, that nobody's going to pick you up unless you do it and think cleverly on how you're going to get there. So you need to pivot. And, you know, learning to pivot in today's world is one of the most important tools any woman or man can have. Yeah, I think I think as long as you realize that no one owes you anything, whether someone's nice to you today and the next day they're mean to you, no one owes you anything. And then no one's going to save you when you need saving. When you realize those things, obviously, when someone does do something nice for you, or when someone does save you, because you don't expect it, I think then it's nicer. But I think as long as you constantly don't expect things, then you will always learn how to be independent. But my dad taught me that since a young age. I mean, I remember when I was 14, my dad obviously regrets this now because he wishes us probably more of a housewife. But he taught my sister and I when I was 14, he sat me down, he said, Violetta, one day you're going to grow up and your looks will fade and you will no longer be beautiful. Dead. The husband that you will find may cheat on you and he will leave you with nothing. Oh my so God. all you have <laughs> to fall back on is your education <laughs> and your brain and your career. So you better think smart now. Dead. Absolutely. That's his father to daughter speech. I mean, holy hell, what did you do? Collapse? On the other hand, thank you, dad. I guess you did it and you're still beautiful. I mean, is he proud? Yeah, my father's really proud. Obviously, my whole career started based on him and my relationship with him. But we yeah. have, we have, daddy issues actually saved my relationship with my father because I didn't have a good one with him growing up. We didn't really have one. And when daddy issues started to give me the confidence of loving myself again and learning more about myself, it was the first time in my life that, because Anyone that may not have a good relationship with their mother or father or anyone that, I mean, you went to boarding school, so I'm sure maybe you didn't, didn't have the closest relationship with your family, I would assume. Yeah. Right. Okay. So anyone, uh, there's a lot of people like us who grew up in a family where we don't say, I love you. We don't have touch. So there's different love languages. As a child, you're not familiar with the different love languages. So if you're not getting hugged by a parent or hearing, I love you, you're going to assume this person doesn't love me. They don't care about me. Yeah. So that's how I grew up thinking my dad doesn't give a shit about me. I mean, my dad forgot how old I was most of the time. I mean, it was just, and I didn't really see him often growing up, even though my parents were together, my dad worked away. He was an engineer and he would travel and in cargo ships, like he would be on a cargo oh, wow. ship for around three months at a time and he'd be back home for a month. So I would only see him four months of the year. And that's what I got used to until we moved to America when I was 14. And it was the first time we lived together. But when I created daddy issues, when I started finding myself again, something in me said, you know what? I'm finally finding this confidence I didn't have anymore. And I no longer care to be rejected by my dad. And people don't really understand that 
what does that mean to be rejected? But I was always so afraid to try to hug my dad because I thought, what if he's like, ew, don't touch me. Or if I said I love you and he didn't say it back, it would break my heart because it would validate how I actually felt deep down about myself that I'm not lovable. So when I started to create daddy issues, I started to find my self-esteem is when I said, you know what? What if I'm going to get older and I'm going to look back and I'm going to regret that I didn't work on that relationship with my father? I know that it, maybe it's not fair because I'm the child. So he's supposed to come to me. But what if that's just how it works and I'm the one that should fix it? And I want him to know that I love him and I don't care anymore if he'll reject me because at least then I'll have no regrets that I tried. And that's what I started deciding to go through the same process while I was going through the process of daddy issues and building that. I started building my relationship with my father where I was like, okay, I'm going to start telling him that I love him. And this is something we only did once a year on a birthday card in writing. So I started on the phone. He would call me about something and I would say, wait, dad, which means what in Russian? I go, I love you. And it was just click, hang up. Then after a couple of times, it's silence, silence, hang up. Then, then after a while, it was me too, hang up. And then one day on his birthday, I wrote him a birthday card. I wrote him a poem and that I love him and I, about our relationship at the beginning, how, you know, how it felt, where it felt like I didn't exist to him, what, what I felt, and then how I basically, and then I, in my poem, I basically wrote how I want him to treat me. So I made it seem as if he's treating me that way now. I manifested it in a way. So instead of saying, I want you to treat me like a princess, I said, now you're treating me like a princess. And there's and the, I see the love you have in your eyes for me. And there's nothing you wouldn't do for me, dad. And it was all that. And I remember my dad called me and I couldn't answer the phone. I was I couldn't handle the intimacy or the vulnerability. So I, I wanted to, went to voicemail. And my dad, for the first time, on the voicemail was like, I am in tears from reading your poem. I'm shocked. And I love you. I just wanted to know that. And I heard the voice when I was like, Oh my God. Like, wow. I can't believe my dad loves me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, that was cool. I mean, I think, you know, I just started the year with the podcast, new year, new me, and all the things I wanted to manifest and change. And this has been like, honestly, Violetta, one of the most inspiring podcasts for me, because I really Aww. think that you've manifested everything in your life. It's not by accident you are where you are, and you should absolutely know that, because there will be a lot of young girls listening out there, and I'm, you know, I'm and inspired by you. And it takes hard work and grind, and to understand that it really is, manifestation isn't a ma magic wand, as we all know, but what it is, is you know, picturing your dream life and taking the steps to get there. And I, you took every step to get there. And that isn't an accident. And to also to be able to forge that relationship with your father at this age and this point, because a lot of people, by the way, would get to where you are and go, fuck him. You know, I don't need him anymore. But you didn't because... I think that that is one of the most important relationships we have. And at those stages, a lot of times they don't even know what they're doing or, you know, or how powerful that is for them. And you know what? In the end, the only person that misses out is you. So to be able to have the balls to go and fix those relationships as well and, and understand that you have to do that for you is a very, very powerful lesson to give a lot, a lot of people. You know, so I really, really thank you for sharing that today because, you know, I think everybody can learn from that because I think the comedy and the things that you put out there are also, as you said, that was the alter ego of you 
wanting to come out. And now here she is. It's really an incredible story. And like, I'm really, really touched by it. Thank you. That's really nice. Yeah, I think I think when we see some of the happiest people, whether they're making jokes or they always have a smile on their face, I genuinely believe that those people are, are probably are the ones who have known a lot of suffering. Yeah. So, and I think we judge people just too quickly, but it is your perspective and how you view things. And yes, I could have said, screw my dad. And I'm so happy that I didn't because also looking back now, I understand my my dad's dad, my grandfather was an alcoholic, a drunk and a cheater. And he watched his dad spend all yeah. of the mo- their money. They were dirt poor during communism in Russia, spent all the money on other women and alcohol. And then he got beat up to death for being a Jew when he, my dad was like 17. So oh, I wow. mean, he went to jail and he got beat up to death by the I'm Jewish. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so my dad, and he, they left him with nothing. All these gangsters came to my, the house where my dad lived and they said, where's the money your dad owes us? And my dad said, what money? We're so poor. And they were mm-hmm. so poor in Russia during communism not only did you share an apartment with other families, but you shared, it was a room. It wasn't even an apartment. You got a room and every corner, a family would live in that corner. It's fucking so, nuts. They can't even imagine what you're doing now. Like they can, How can they even fathom your life today? It's ridiculous. I hope you know that. For them to sit there and watch you do this, I mean, I, do they understand what you've done? No, but people tend to project and unfortunately a lot of people in this life they rather sit there in misery and complain about how it's not fair that they don't have something how these people must have been handed to them and blah blah because unfortunately it feels familiar to be in misery it feels familiar Mm. to sit in sadness when I was really depressed I didn't it was really hard for me to snap out of it because it felt familiar every day oh I know I'm going to be sad it's different when you actually have to try because then what if you fail then you actually have to admit that you're a failure now you're just thinking I could do all this stuff but what if you tried and you actually couldn't or what if you try and then actually works out then you have to be happy but that was the genius about being anonymous because you if you had failed who knew Exactly. That's true. I, I didn't have the self-esteem, the confidence in myself to do it with people knowing it's me. So you it know, was easier being anonymous. 100%. Yeah. And that's my point. You found every which way to do it. Like literally every which way. You didn't even build your name on your name. That's brilliant. So, you know, and, and I think not giving up and, you know, that's not handed to you. That is a tool. You're, you know, that is a brain that is an analytical brain. And that is someone that is determined, not handed that, you know, you're gifted. Maybe you're, you know, you're definitely gifted with something that a lot of people don't have. And that's, as we say in the Jewish religion, chutzpah and go getting. And, you know, I wish more, more girls had what you had because the world would be a lot better place that's for sure but thank you so much for joining me because I really thank you for saying all of that by the way I think it's I think sometimes forget to yourself on the bat yes very important do it do it to yourself you should write down like you do with your boards all the things that you I'm sure you do this but like achieved in the last year and pat yourself on the back because no one else well you you must you should write them down and so you can see them on your board because I don't think you probably realize how much you have done and have got in the achieved in the last year and I think you'd be shocked and I do that and then pat yourself on the back because no one else is going to do that 
you know, and then you can see how far you've come and where you want to go. And it's really powerful because you do it in every other aspect in your life of where you want to go, but you're not looking at what you've already done. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I should, I should do that because no one knows. So it's so important to celebrate your achievements, big or small, because no one knows how hard you work to get there. No one, except you. And they're never going to give you that. They're never going to give you that because people want to believe that you got handed it. And so it's super important to do that for yourself. Like if I can give I just can't imagine living a life so miserable where your happiness comes from being hateful towards other people. It just doesn't seem it can't I'm a housewife. I get it every day. Every fucking day. I know. I, know. <laughs> I can't imagine when yes. people love you. Yes. You're lovable and you don't listen to the hate. No, I don't. I block it out. But and you know, and that's really important. But you know, I actually put you're you're more you're harder to get to. I, on the other hand, being, you know, Twitter is terrible for me. You just have to learn how to block out that noise. But I also know that my job's a bit like pantomime, right? You know, people want to hate me. People want to think my life's whatever. You know, that's why I learned all these coping mechanisms. And I think they're very powerful, especially for someone, you know, like yourself, who is, doing so much. And it's, you know, I try and do it because I have kids. I have, you know, a a very young husband. I have the show. I have so many things I'm doing. And sometimes I don't realize how much I've achieved. And I'm, you know, very tough on myself and thinking, looking at other people who've achieved more. And I'm like, oh, I didn't do that much. And then when I write it down, I'm like, fuck, I've actually done quite a lot. Yeah. But like, I want to be like you. I look at your podcast and I'm like, fuck, I love hers. You know, like that's, that's a natural thing. Yeah, no, but I look at you and I'm listening to you speak and, you know, I I hope that you do give yourself more credit and and a lot of grace because you seem like, especially because you're foreign, I feel like British and Australian people are a lot more tough than Americans. Yeah. So I do hope that you give yourself moments to be kind and sweet to yourself. I mean, I mean, you said you seem amazing and you seem really tough. Thank you. Well, I've got there. I'm 48 now, so no choice. You know, like I've just learned, but I can see, you know, I mean, you just... people can go the rest of their life feeling like the victim and you clearly don't. So no. I think it's amazing. No. So anyway, thank you so much. I've loved today and meeting you and I hope we get to meet you in person when I come to America. Me too. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Uncut and Uncensored with Caroline Stanbury. Don't forget to rate and review and please download. Thank you for listening. You can catch my new episode of my podcast every Wednesday. Please don't forget to follow so you don't miss any of the action. I want to hear from you, so leave me a rating and a review. Follow us on social for all the behind scenes action and more information at Uncut and Uncensored by Caroline. See you next week.